This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by going to casper.com fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. It's Monday, January 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Howdy. Good weekend? A great weekend. A lot of indoor time, as we were talking about. It's chilly here. It is. Um, it's about to warm up, though. So yeah, I mean, warm up is is like what thirty eight degrees. You know what? You know? After the cold we've had, that absolutely is warmer. <laughs> we'll take that. Yep. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk retail. The holiday retail numbers are starting to come out. Uh, we got to start though with GoPro. Holy cow! <laughs> GoPro announced preliminary fourth quarter results and. All of them appear to be bad. Uh, the revenue for the fourth quarter is much going to be much lighter than expected. GoPro is shutting down its drone business. Uh, they are cutting more than 20% of their global workforce, and shares of GoPro, which were not that high to begin with, dropping up to 30% this morning. Yeah, and I mean, I hate to call the cutting of the workforce actually good news, but honestly, for a business that is in the condition that GoPro is in, that actually is good news, and it's unfortunate for people who aren't going to, you know, have a job in the coming weeks. But I mean, I, th- I think this really is as bad as it looks. I mean, when you issue weak guidance for a holiday quarter that has seemingly been pretty good to this point for a number of businesses out there, you know, you have big problems. I mean, they're guiding down, they're cutting prices on their on their flagship product. They're leaving markets that were essentially once part of an investing thesis. I mean, that that is just—it's a trifecta of just badness, Chris. So, what is the path forward for this company? I'm 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 not looking. Or is there a path? <laughs> well, maybe that's the better question. I mean, I'm not I'm not looking to to bury them just yet. But I, they have a great brand. They they have a you know uh, the CEO was was uh, on CNBC this morning um, talking about. Um, if nothing else, the the fact that they went public gave them a level of visibility that they probably would not have had if they remained private. That being said, it's hard for me to imagine that they write this ship in the next twelve months. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they do. And I mean, I, you know, Nick Woodman, the the founder and the CEO of the company, he. He seems to be ever the optimist, and I mean, I do appreciate that about him because I mean, I feel like if you're leading the company that you started, you better have that take on things. I mean, you need to always be trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and and I, it's just, it's not that easy to see at this point because this all basically goes back to our concerns when the company went public. Is this bottom line? It's just a hardware play, and it's not to say the technology isn't cool. It is. I mean, they've obviously sort of. Help change the face of sort of how we get certain forms of content, and it's introduced uh, new forms of content that we didn't have before. But that doesn't necessarily make it a good investment. And so, I mean, when we when we were looking at GoPro when it was going public, we would go through the S one and see that they ultimately had this vision of becoming a content company where they would use that hardware to develop content that they could then monetize. And really, that that's been blown out of the water. Uh, leaving the drone market, that's another that's another strike. And so, it's it's not to say that they can't do something to turn the business around, but they are basically falling back to that old, we're just a hardware play at this point. And when you see a company like this, and they're cutting prices, and margins are falling, and they're burning through cash, it's just really difficult to see what the next pivot is. 
Let's move on to Snap, which got its second downgrade in just a week, this time from Jefferies. And uh, something tells me you've got your own downgrade of Snap. Oh, I was going to say I'm downgrading them as well. Uh, I mean, I'll just I'll just jump on. I'll pile gonna, on here. Not going to put out a white no, paper I, like the people at Jefferies, <laughs> but I mean, I think we've we've been pretty critical of, of Snap and Snapchat since they went public. And I mean, this may seem harsh, and this really isn't even a reckless prediction. But I mean, I don't see how this stock price isn't cut in half from today's levels. And I think by the end of the year we will actually see that because I don't know, I don't know why the market would still be willing to pay this kind of a multiple for the company today. And I mean, remember, it wasn't all that long ago that we saw projections for Snap to bring in more than a billion dollars in revenue in 2017. Okay, that's not going to happen. I mean, now we're looking at they're they're going to be. Doing well if if they break the eight hundred million dollar mark, uh, and, and so this was a really neat sort of growth story when it went public. It really, really the, the narrative turned very quickly, and and I don't again like with GoPro, it's it's really hard to see what changes the conversation for this company at least in the next year to two years. I was reminded of something that uh, you pointed out a couple of times last year when I went to Google Finance just to. Uh, pull up a quote, uh, and shares of Snap are down about five percent uh, this morning, uh, presumably on Jeffrey's downgrade. But who knows? By the time uh, by the time we're done with it, we're, by the time this gets <laughs> published, maybe it falls a little dozens further. and dozens of listeners will. Um, have and that had is fill. that is the first line of of uh, of information about uh, about any public company when you pull up a quote is just sort of how does the company choose to describe itself? And in this case, it's Snap Incorporated, formerly Snapchat Incorporated. Is a camera company. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about GoPro, and that's a camera company too. Right? I was like, actually, GoPro is a camera company, and that's <laughs> yeah. not working out well at all. No, and I mean, I I don't mean to to to. I hope I don't sound like I've got some sort of a grudge with Snapchat. I don't. I don't use the platform. No, Mark Zuckerberg has care a grudge. Less. Right, exactly. Zuckerberg has the grudge with I, Snap. I couldn't care less. It could disappear tomorrow. It wouldn't matter to me at all. But I mean, I just when you look at the math, when you look at the numbers, and you try to understand what exactly is going on here, I mean. It just we have to look at it from a price to sales perspective here because Snapchat's not or uh, Snap is not pro, uh, profitable yet, but the market's paying twenty five times revenue for Snap today. It's paying fourteen times revenue for Facebook, and it's paying seven and a half times for Twitter. Now, Twitter is on the cusp of profitability, and Twitter's had obviously a lot of problems up to this point as well. But you feel like maybe that tide is turning a little bit. Uh, and, and not to mention the fact that Twitter brings in at least three times the revenue that Snap does uh, today. And, and when you when you sort of go back to the core purpose of the platform, it really is it's a messaging platform. So it's a neat messaging platform. It does what it does well. It's just very difficult to monetize. And I think that the proof is in this survey of ad buyers here recently when they're asked to rank. All of these social media platforms by metrics like return on investment and user targeting and campaign measurement. And unfortunately, Snapchat comes in dead last. So you'll hear some stories out there about how oh they're they're gaining some some relevance in the in the ad spend and and, and you know clients are, are wanting to invest more in having a Snap presence. It doesn't look like that's actually the case. And, and at the end of the day, the numbers tell the tale. And so for right now, they have a major, major problem in that they are not doing a good job improving their case yet. And you know what? We've seen this before. We watched Twitter go through this over the past three years or so. And so let history be your guide. Again, it's not to say Snapchat can't be a good investment one day or Snap. Uh, I just don't think it's there yet. 
Let's move on to retail. Shares of Kohl's are hitting a 52-week high this morning. Holiday sales up just under 7% year-over-year. They raised their earnings guidance for fiscal year 2017. And good for them. Yeah. And and I don't remember if you were on the episode when we talked about this in December, but I remember saying that in January, the two retailers I was the most interested to see how they did at the holiday season were Kohl's and Macy's, in large part because I thought they both had pretty compelling television advertising campaigns. Yeah. And it paid off for Kohl's. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the flip side of that, I think it was a couple of years ago or so where Radio Shack really sort of made that push. And, I mean, they had a pretty compelling TV advertising campaign. I, I got to say, I liked it. It unfortunately didn't bring the results that they were hoping for. But it looks like, at least in this case, maybe uh, there was something to it for Coles. I think for me, this really is sort of that old saying: you know, if you can't beat them, you join them. And when you look at what Coles has done over the past year in forging relationships with companies like Amazon and Under Armour and Nike and Adidas, those are clearly bringing results uh, for the company. And, and so. Whenever you build your store or your concept, you know to to bring more touch points in for the consumer, you stand to do well. So it's it's not it's not the everything store, but it's we've got a lot more than we used to store, and I think that it certainly paid off. I think it's also coming off of a pretty easy comp from last year. Last year was a brutal holiday season for a lot of retailers. But that said, I mean, this was more than just a, a an easy comp. I mean, this was a good performance from Kohl's. So maybe retail isn't totally dead yet. It was it was a flat out good performance, and the stock is up almost forty percent in the past twelve months. I gotta say, I don't think you and I have talked about this in terms of uh, our holiday retail experiences for the first time that I can think of. Amazon kind of let me down this year, really, and it was bricks and mortar retail that. Ended up getting my business the to last few days. Yeah, because now why is that? Uh, is I I don't know if Amazon order? ended up having inventory problems or that sort of thing. But uh, and look, I'm not the most proactive <laughs> shopper in the world. That's partly why I use Amazon. I was going to say like, they're they're there to, to to save your bacon. <laughs> yes, and so in this case, it's okay. Well, uh, it's it was December 21st, and I thought okay. Two days shipping, no problem. And uh, it was the morning of the 21st, and I was putting things in my cart and that sort of thing. I was okay, great, I'll get this on the 23rd, that sort of thing. And if I had just been smart enough to just click the buy button then, no problem. Uh... I go back a couple hours later, it's still December 21st. Early afternoon, I go, and all of a sudden, stuff isn't there. Stuff's not going to arrive until after Christmas Day. And I thought, I can't. I can't pull that. I got. I, yeah. I, I got to go find it. It sounds a, like perhaps this was uh, maybe both parties are at fault here. Maybe you just had really high expectations, and, and now we're sort of in the new paradigm, right? Amazon is going to be able to start commanding a little bit more of their own terms, as, as opposed uh, to being maybe. So although it, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Christmas Eve. It no. was uh, they. They had a couple of days to spare, and so I, I, I'm curious to see if. I mean, hey, maybe I'm a one-off. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to stop shopping on Amazon.com. But it wouldn't surprise me if a story came out in the next week or two about some type of inventory issue. I don't think you're a one-off. I think that this is sort of the this is this is the difficult part of Amazon's success is they've done such a good job in such a short period of time building out this prime offering and really sort of conditioning us as consumers and shoppers. 
they they're really they've got to figure out how to accommodate for that just massive increase in demand. I mean, as more and more people use it and they're shopping there all day every day it seems and come holiday season, that's the crutch, right? Is I'm going to go get it on Amazon and at least I know when it comes to the last second I've still got Amazon. Uh you still got to get stuff from point A to point B. And and that is I think a really difficult part of the equation that they still haven't uh, fully been able to master. Now, I think they're really working hard at it with partners like UPS and FedEx, United States Postal Service, in, in really trying to figure out that last mile. And, and they're leveraging uh, sort of Uber-like systems where they can get delivery guys at all times of the day. And so, yeah, I think mean, we're we're going to continue to see uh, sorts of situations like that where where you know you, you just got to figure. Okay, well. How long is it going to be before they really nail down that last mile? I don't know. I mean, the shipping and logistics side of it is really, I think, the most difficult part of the business. And that's why we're seeing them make so many investments in that, because it is really difficult. It's also a massive market opportunity. And the more they can own that, the more they control the experience. And the more opportunity you're going to have to go ahead and order that gift on December 23rd. Chris, <laughs> know that it's going to be there by December 24th. Before we go any further, I want to say thanks to Casper. Uh, I don't know the last time you bought a mattress, but if it's been a while, yeah, you should check out Casper. Their mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And they make buying a mattress easy. You order online, it's delivered right to your door in a compact box. Free shipping and free returns in the US and Canada. And it comes with a risk-free 100-day trial. Considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. And that's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. Uh, we've got coworkers here at The Motley Fool who have these mattresses and love them. And you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using the promo code fool. At checkout. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Jake Johnson, who writes I'm a, recent college, uh, I'm a recent college grad with a job and a 401k plan. However, I cannot shake the idea that I need to take the risk of a personal portfolio aside from my 401k. To generalize this question, is it advised under the age of 30 to only feed the 401k, or is it worth it to separate capital to diversify? With a second investment portfolio of my own, and if so, what companies and plat or platforms are recommended for low capital entry into personal investment? P.S. Thanks for being an innovative source of financial news, and the family of podcasts at the Motley Fool has really given me a larger interest in the financial world. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so let's a couple of different questions here. One is the idea of if you're a young person, a younger person. You got a 401k. First of all, great that he's got the 401k. Yeah. yeah. And that's the first step. If you've got a 401k plan, just max that out. And if your company is matching, even better. Just go, that's free money. Go ahead and take it. Um, if you've got the capital to do something separate, uh, and and specifically, he's talking about he's using the word risk. I mean, 401k plans in general, 
they're not they're not going to give you the same level of risk exposure probably that you would find in individual stocks. Not typically. And and yeah, congratulations Jake on graduating on the job. Thank you for the kind words. We we love what we get to do here. So thanks for the question. It's a really good one. And and you know, I I was looking at this last week. It's an amazing statistic. We have something like 79% of the American workforce has the option or the opportunity to invest in a 401k plan. And and of that 79%, like only 41% of us actually take advantage of it. So the overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly, the, the, the statistics tell us we have a lot of work to do there. Um, having that 401k is, is a great way to sort of take that risk off the table, just focus on saving um, in, in the mindset of decades, right? I mean, you're not thinking about the next year's returns or five years' returns. This is about a lifetime of, of accumulating and building wealth. And so, for me, I think now that you have that 401k set and you're doing that, I think you have to get into another sort of discretionary portfolio where you can continue to save and invest. And I, I, you can look at it in a number of different ways. I mean, I always sort of I think that the first step for anyone looking to invest, the best first step is to invest in something like an S&P 500 index fund, because it gives you immediate diversity. It sort of helps you spread that risk around while participating in the market. Now, based on Jake's stats here, it sounds like he's already getting that exposure to some degree through his 401k. And if that's the case, then I think that the next step is uh, go ahead and open a portfolio and start buying individual, you know, stock and individual companies because that's again you're going to be doing this for a very long time to come. I mean, don't put any money in there that you need within the next five years. Uh, but if you can put money in in a discretionary investing account and focus again, sort of what that same mentality of your four hundred and one k is is decades and in building and accumulating wealth. I mean, you, at, at his age, you've got a lot of time ahead, and you can actually take a little bit more risk in that portfolio. So I, you know, you probably don't need to to go with an S and P index fund. There, start by buying you know stock in some of the biggest no brainers out there that are that are uh, you know sort of. Helping to run the world today, your Googles and Starbucks's and Facebooks and, and Amazons and Apples, and then you can sort of add some riskier uh, holdings into the mix there uh, as, as you as you get older. Uh, I, I think that's something you have to do almost. In terms of the cost, and I, I think this is a particularly insightful uh, part of Jake's question: is he's already thinking about well, if I have another account, yeah. I need to think about the cost associated with that account. Mm-hmm. So not just well, how much money am I going to invest, but also what are the trading fees? What you know, is there a way to buy partial shares? That sort of thing. Um, fortunately for Jake, we live in an age where there are a lot of companies who would lo- <laughs> who would love to get his business, and so it's yep. uh, there. There are a lot of options in terms of low cost, low fee platforms. There really are, and I mean, you could sit here and just list off a number of them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and give Jake a name for the platform that I know best, and it's a, it's a partner of ours, Rubicoin. Uh, Rubicoin has two apps out there today. Uh, there's Rubicoin Invest and Rubicoin uh, Rubicoin Learn. Now, Learn is the app that is really about educating the individual investor. Invest is the app that helps you take that next step and actually invest. And the neat thing about Rubicoin and what Emmett and, and John have done there in building this platform up is they have the ability not only to invest through the actual app, uh, but they have partnered with, I believe it's Drive Wealth. 
which allows for the purchase of fractional shares. And so I think fractional shares are a terrific alternative for younger folks who may not necessarily have amassed enough capital to buy shares in some of these companies that they love so much. I mean, if you're looking at companies like Amazon, Google, Markel, Priceline. I mean, these are stock prices that are in the thousands of dollars. So it's to buy one share, you know, you have thirteen hundred dollars to buy a share of Amazon. Uh, but the fractional share uh, dynamic there, I think, is really uh, a really attractive way to sort of overcome that. And so I, I go go to the App Store if you have an iPhone. I, I believe they're also on Android, or you can just Google up Rubicoin. A uh, lot of great stuff they're putting out there, and, and I think the invest platform that they have is a terrific way to at least investigate getting started and see if it's something that, that fits what you're going to need, Jake. I don't use the Robinhood app, but yeah, I don't either, but right. we do we do we get that question a lot particularly from younger investors and I know it's a popular app, same sort of thing where it's like like zero yeah. zero dollars to trade. And and I think, you know, that's attractive when you see it, you think, "Oh wow, I don't have to pay anything for the commissions." Now, I understand you're getting what you pay for in that I mean, it's going to be a bare bones sort of of structure there. And and from my understanding, I've never used Robinhood, but my understanding is that they don't have the same liquidity that other trading platforms will have. So just be aware that, especially when you're looking at this and thinking about you know owning these shares for the next ten, twenty, thirty years, I wouldn't get hung up on a transaction cost of three ninety nine or seven dollars, right? I mean, I use Scott Trade; it costs me seven dollars to buy and sell a stock. Now I'm doing very little selling, right? You just got to be in that net buyer mindset of like we're building capital; we're not worried about trading things around. And so I just the longer your timeline, really, the less that transaction cost means. And so I would not get too hung up on that when when investigating which platform to use. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Austin Morgan helping us out behind the glass today. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>